but what legacy do I want to leave? What do I want people to remember me by? I want to create such a powerful love movement, such a powerful personal empowerment movement that when I go, when I leave this physical body and maybe get reincarnated into another body or go to another universe, who knows, wherever I'm going to go. When, when I when I leave this physical body, I want to have such a massive movement that people want to continue that movement when I'm gone. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Mentors. Today, we have on Alita McDaniel, the ambassador for goodness, co-founder of Mind Soul Fit, and very passionate about the mind, body, and spirit. Not only that, but she's got a lot of big projects underway. I can't lie. This podcast absolutely blew me away. Alita has such big ideas. They left me flustered and confused and contemplating, and I loved it, and I hope you love it, too. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Mentors. I'm here with Miss Alita McDaniel. And oh my goodness, Alita, thank you so much for being on my podcast. I love having you here. Thank you so much for having me. I'm super stoked. Yes, and I really want to start off with um, what we were talking about beforehand, because before we started recording, we were talking about Generation Z in general and uh, Miss Alita's story. Can you please go into depth about some of the mistakes you made, why you think that Generation Z is going to be the most open and growing generation? Is it okay if I go down the rabbit hole and talk about quantum mechanics and talk about spirituality and stuff like that? Oh my goodness, please do. Please do. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So so my story kind of goes back pretty far. Um, I was actually born with past life memories. And um, when I was, I was probably about two uh, when I started having memories and flashbacks. Um, When I was able to talk, I was telling my mom about past lives and experiences that I had in past lives. And what was fascinating about that was that my mom, you know, she knew the difference between whether or not I was making something up and whether, you know, whether I was actually telling the truth. She could, she knew. Uh, And something inside of her just kind of like, she, she allowed me to speak it, though it kind of freaked her out a little bit. So growing up, you know, I was really fortunate that my mom, you know, kind of raised me looking for answers spiritually. Uh, And so I used to go to this bookshop in um, downtown LA called the Bodhi Tree. And, you know, at, at, at a ripe young age of like six, when my parents had just gotten divorced, every Sunday we were going to different churches trying to find answers. And we would go to this store after we would go to, to a different church And I would skim through all of these books that talked about everything from aliens to spirits to, you know, consciousness. And, you know, it really, it it planted a ton of seeds that never really manifested until probably, I think it was like maybe sixth grade uh, when my grandma died. And that was when I started developing these mediumship skills. And I started developing these gifts and I was able to talk to spirits and I was seeing things and I was hearing things and it was, it really freaked me out. Um, but one of the things that, that I really, you know, during that time, I didn't have anybody to talk to, you know, we didn't have the internet. I couldn't go and research these things. Uh, I couldn't go and find a mentor who had experience in this because, you know, all of the people who were, who were comfortably talking about it, weren't doing it with the, from the safety of, you know, the public eye, they were doing it through books in tiny bookstores like this. And everything was hidden behind the scenes. Um, And so now, you know, what I found out, you know, over the course of time was I'm an indigo child. And many of, you know, you and your generation are coming in as indigos, you're coming in as crystals, you're coming in as star seeds. And what that means is that it's a fancy way of saying that you didn't come here to play the same game that our, our ancestors came in to create. 
you came in here to change. You came in here to change the game. And my generation came in to fight the fight to create the foundation for you guys to come in and really change the game. So we kind of, we were kind of like your uh, uh, predecessors, I think it was called, you know, the word, <laughs> not yeah, slipping yeah. my mind at the moment. Yeah, yeah. but we, we came in, you know, soulfully knowing that there were changes that needed to be made to the infrastructure in order for us to come in, uh, in, a, in a more soul level. And so I think in my generation, those of us who woke up out of the matrix, we started looking around and saying, okay, wait a second, I have gifts, I have powers. And if we look back on, you know, thousands of, of years of, you know, oppression of, of these, these incredible gifts that we, we have uh, in, in, locked inside of us, um, if we look back on all of that, what would happen if we woke them up? And I think my generation, you know, was, was ballsy enough, thankfully, uh, to start questioning the status quo, while your generation is ballsy enough to take the ball and run with it. Uh, and so in, in that regard, you know, the mistakes that I made were hiding. You know, I hid from my power. Uh, I didn't talk to anybody about it. Uh, I, I considered myself a freak for very long before I finally started researching, you know, what this power was, what this gift was. Um, and, and I really held myself back in fear uh, because I was afraid of being judged. I was afraid of being criticized. I was afraid of being condemned. And I, it sent me on a journey. You know, I've been a student of comparative religions now for about 15, 16 years um, because, you know, when I started looking down the rabbit hole and started understanding that our thoughts are creating our reality and understanding that our body is a vibrational organism, and that these thoughts are sending out signals out into not just the physical space around us, but out into the universe and drawing into manifest. And you know, we can, we can talk about how Jesus talked about this too, because the Bible talks about it and every religion talks about it in one way, shape or form. But when we really think about it, our body is a vibrational mechanism. And when we are aligned, we are able to create the reality. So we create our destiny. And we don't have to fall victim to our genetics or our programming or our conditioning or the way society tells us life has to be. And the mistakes that I made along the way were made in fear that I was going to screw up. And so I, I avoided taking chances. I avoided taking risks. Uh, and so for the first 21 years of my life, uh, I was chronically ill. I had depression. I was 80 pounds obese. Um, I had uh, autoimmune uh, everything. And, you know, once I woke up and realized that I was creating that reality, uh, it, it completely changed everything for me. So I guess in a nutshell, that's kind of like my story. <laughs> that was incredible. Hands down, that was incredible. Because I, I loved what you were saying, because, you know, in the end, you're talking about that you created that reality. And that's so true. And that's so true for everyone. But the fact mm -hmm. is, is I don't think a lot of people understand that it's their fault. If yeah. you want to, if you want to point blame, you know, a lot of times, especially mm -hmm. right now, it's always like this culture of being a victim. Mm -hmm. Like you said, I feel like if you didn't put that blame on yourself, because I guess that was that main shift for you, that you would have stayed unhealthy. 100%. Um, I, I had the, I've, I've had some really, really incredible mentors over the course of my life. Um, and, you know, like him or not, uh, Ty Lopez was actually one of my mentors uh, at one time. And, uh, you know, he's really, really massive in social media. And like I said, you know, like him or not, one of the things that, you know, he really said 
when I first, you know, started working with him was he said, everything is your fault. And I was like, how dare you say that? You don't know me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I wanted really bad to just blame, you know, like, okay, I was molested. So it's their, it's their fault. And then my dad left when I was six and it's his fault. And I wanted to blame everybody for my suffering. But, you know, at the end of the day, I didn't want to accept the fact that I was the one making the choice to put the food in my mouth. I was the one that was making the choice to avoid moving so that I could just sit in front of the TV and gorge myself in food to numb the pain that I was inflicting on myself. And I'll never forget, you know, I, I, there was a point in my life where when everything finally started to click and I was reading books by Wayne Dyer and Thich Nhat Hanh and um, uh, Abraham Hicks uh, and, and Lama Surya Das. And these books were showing me that you know, every single thing that I was doing in my life was a choice. Every single day of our life, we live unconsciously. We are, we live on autopilot. And it, what's crazy is at the age of 35, by the age of 35, your brain is hardwired with conditioned beliefs. And this is why they say, oh, it's so hard to lose weight when you get to a certain age. No, it's actually not. The reason why they feel it's so hard is because they've anchored in such negative and limiting beliefs that it's hard for them to create change at that point because the brain is hardwired. So the key, if you ever want to continue to grow and you want to continue to evolve is you can't let that hardwiring happen. You have to commit every single day to take on a new challenge, to face a new risk, to, to face something and conquer something that you're afraid of. Because when you do, the, the neurons in your brain are constantly changing and adapting, and that's what keeps you young. And I don't think a lot of people want to believe that, you know, if, if you're raised, um, you know, whatever religion you're raised, every religion in its most extreme form has some sort of uh, brainwashing. Uh, you know, if, if, you, if you look at it from a perspective of just literal translation, and many people are raised, you know, if you do something wrong, God's going to strike you down. And forever and eternity, your life is going to be hell. But it's like, wait a second, hold on. Right here in planet Earth, on this time and space reality, we are living in heaven or hell. And that heaven or hell is a matter of choice. Do I allow all the, all the unconscious programming to affect how I live my life? And do I live on autopilot every single day? Or do I consciously say, well, heaven can be here on Earth. And I'm going to choose to create it by acting as though it's already here and giving thanks for the knowing that it's already here. And when we do that, we shift our mindset from this kind of scarcity, I'm not enough, I'm unworthy, I'm, I'm broken, to I, I'm, I'm this living embodiment of the God consciousness, the source consciousness that created me. And my life is how that consciousness can experience the world in a very unique way. And we stop devoting our lives to proving how much of a failure we are. And we start living our life to embody that consciousness. And that I think is, you know, it's it's a shift that a lot of people don't take because so many people are afraid of studying spirituality or understanding their true power and knowing that their life actually can be so much bigger and better than it really is. I think I think people aren't, I feel like some people can be afraid of that, but what I see more often is people not wanting to do. 
people not taking that opportunity because in all honesty, as beautiful as that is, you know, realizing that heaven can be on earth, we like to sit in this, in this sedentary environment where we don't want to change because changing is hard. Changing is difficult. And even though there's that, it's a beautiful light at the tunnel, we never take it, like, especially for school. Oh my goodness. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, as a high schooler, I look around and no kid knows what they love. And you're totally right. No one knows their passion. No one knows, you know, their true power. No one has really connected with that spirituality. And they simply go throughout life, not knowing mm-hmm. what they want because, you know, we've set this structure up for them and it's, and it's a mess. So, you know, my question is, is how do we, how do we get people to realize that power? And then, which is harder, after they realize that power or that passion, how do we get them to act upon it and not be fearful and not be lazy? Yeah, that's such a good question. Um, you know, first things first is we have to get comfortable with risk. We didn't come here just to, just to wait to die. So at some point, we have to, we have to decide that we want more. And if we decide that we want more, we have to pursue whatever that more is. I believe that there is a, a falsity, a, a false uh, programming, this false belief that we have maybe here in America, I'm not sure in other countries, but I know for sure here, we believe that there's like this one massive purpose we're supposed to fulfill. And we spend our entire life beating ourselves up because we're not living whatever that purpose is. We think what, there's some sort of purpose. And I'm going to tell you, like, the first time I heard something inside of me say, Alita, this is your purpose. Well, my purpose is to restore love on earth. Well, how in the world am I supposed to freaking do that? <laughs> if I don't even love myself, how am I supposed to go teach other people how to love, you know? Um, and so, you know, over the course of time, what you start to find is life has to be an adventure. You cannot see it any other way. When you see life as an adventure and you start to explore the notion that this life is in fact a, a series of, it's, it's, it's a curriculum. There's some sort of spiritual curriculum that we are supposed to fulfill in this lifetime. We came here in this unique body, this unique perspective with these particular parents and the certain family and these experiences to fulfill some sort of a lesson plan. And when we go through that lesson plan, we can either choose to deny that lesson plan and say, oh, well, the world is happening to me. Or we can say, okay, wait a second. Life is happening for me. And if it's happening for me, what can I do to better shift my perspective on this experience so that I can transcend this current obstacle and move on to the next and move on to the next and move on to the next. So it starts at the foundation with curiosity, letting go of any sort of beliefs that there's one life purpose. My life purpose has changed so many times in my life that the only thing that stays constant is my commitment to be better today than I was yesterday. That's the only purpose I have now in life because what I want at the end of my life, I want a legacy. I have said, there's, there's, there's an incredible quote uh, from Jim Rohn that says, when the why is big enough, the how seems easy. 
So what I was realizing was that I was setting these tiny little goals, right? So, so you got to finish school. Well, school sucks, right? I hated school. <laughs> I'll just admit it. I hated school and I hated it because I had to learn at the same pace as everybody else. And I had to learn this general ed curriculum. And I'm not saying anybody like go, you know, leave school. Although there are plenty of, plenty of incredible entrepreneurs out there who have made millions before they even, you know, graduated high school because they said, screw high school. I'm out. You know, I'm going to go do this life my way. Um, and this is why I believe so wholeheartedly in your generation is because you guys have the balls enough to do that. I wanted to do that, but I didn't have the balls to do it. So, so, you know, all that being said, um, you know, school kind of school prepares us to be robots. It prepares us to seek validation in the world around us. So we're taught to take tests so that the, the test can tell us how good or bad we are. And we're, we're taught to take these tests based on a specific lesson plan, a specific way of thinking that may not necessarily be authentic to who we are. So, you know, unfortunately that limits our ability to be able to say, you know what, I'm going to go out and do this my way. So we have to get curious and we have to say, okay, look, if this is all I'm being given, what's hiding behind the scenes? What else is out there? So most people who are afraid of taking a risk, so pain, right? Pain is something that most people fear, right? So fear is actually an anticipation of pain. So people fear uncertainty because they're afraid it's going to be painful. They're afraid they're going to get hurt. They're afraid they're going to lose. They're afraid they're going to be seen as a failure. They're afraid they're going to get judged. They're afraid they're going to lose friends, right? And so at some point, you have to be so curious that you realize, well, wait a second, if I am holding myself back to please other people, am I helping them or am I hindering them? Because what's actually happening is if I say, well, you know what? I'm not going to take that job or I'm not going to follow that opportunity because, you know, well, what if I lose my friends? One of my mentors actually said to me, um, his name is Pejman Gadimi, um, and, and he's uh, one of the founders of Secret Entourage Academy. And he said, Alita, you know, F, I'm not going to say the, the, the F word, but F your clients. Mm -hmm. Because I was, I was doing, you know, just focusing on this one-on-one -on -one thing which is what, what we do when we're thinking small. It's like, okay, I'm just going to focus on one person at a time and, and I'm going to hold myself back because I've got to give everything to that one person. But when, when the goal is so big, you stop focusing on that one step and one step and one step and you focus on the bigger picture. That one step becomes a tiny little cobblestone on the pathway to that legacy, to whatever that massive goal is. So what helped to get me out of that limited mindset and that fear of uncertainty was basically saying, look, the legacy that I want to leave, if I die at 180 years old, because I do want to live past 100, I think that would be pretty dope. So <laughs> if, I, if I die at 180 years old, and I know it's possible, if I look back on the, on the course of my life and somebody says to me, Alita, I want to make a movie of your life, I have to live each and every day according to what I would want that movie to be but what legacy do I want to leave? What do I want people to remember me by? I want to create such a powerful love movement, such a powerful personal empowerment movement that when I go, when I leave this physical body and maybe get reincarnated into another body or go to another universe, who knows, wherever I'm going to go. <laughs> when, when, I, when I leave this physical body, I want to have such a massive movement that people want to continue that movement when I'm gone. And if I'm going to, if that's my goal, 
I'm going to have to get comfortable with failing. <laughs> I'm going to have to get comfortable with falling flat on my face and making mistakes and, you know, life not being comfortable. But we live in a society where everything is too comfortable and everything's too convenient and we have everything at our fingertips. And we've gotten so used to comfort that we've forgotten how to enjoy the risk. Mm. And so, it, it, you know, it comes down to embracing the risk. It comes down to getting curious about what else is out there. And it comes down to setting a goal so big that failing becomes a necessary evil or a necessary part of the process. I, I completely agree. You, the, oh my goodness. There's a lot I want to discuss right now. (laughs) Bring it on. Cause you know, right. Like in the beginning you were talking about, well, a part of logotherapy, you know, logotherapy. Have you ever heard of it? I've heard the name, but I'm not too familiar with it. Yeah, well, uh, um, logotherapy is this big part of, um, I think, a psychotherapy, but a branch of it is what you were talking about, is not having one big purpose. It's that you have a specific purpose at this time. Like, you never can, you can never can fulfill this one thing. It's just one step at a time. Like how you, like how you were saying that this one person or this one moment is just a cobblestone of your entire, of the staircase of your entire life. And oh my goodness, you hit home so much with what you said about a movie, because when I was younger, my dad, he was talking to me because, you know, I'm, I was like a little kid. I wasn't doing much. And he goes, Ava, if your life was a book, would anyone read it? And that made me just kind of sit back in my chair. I was like, Oh, I don't think anyone would want to read my book. He goes, what are you going to do about that? And, and you start working because you realize that, you know, you, we have this time on earth and, and it's wonderful. And you, that doesn't want to be, no one wants to waste that. Or I hope no one wants to waste that. And you're totally right because it, I think technology, not technology, technology advances us, but as much as it betters us as a, as a race of people, it also hinders us because right now I'm using technology to be able to talk to you from miles and miles away. But at the same time, I know someone else is using this technology to watch movies or like YouTube videos. Not to say there's anything wrong with that because leisurely fun is just fun. But when it gets to a constant, that's, that's also bad. And so Mm -hmm. it's, it's a hard problem to solve to try to push people and to get them to think. And what I, you know, what I think is going on is that some people don't have that time to think which sounds a little odd at first because, oh, you, you always have time to think. But I feel like, especially adults or especially kids, when you have to think about, I need to get these grades, I need to go to this college, I need to find a job, or like as an adult, I need to find this job, I need to pay my taxes, I need to take care of the kids, I need to do this and that and make sure I can keep a living going. We never have the time to sit back in our chairs and think about, one, our purpose of our lives at the current moment, our legacy, what we're doing with ourselves and how are we be- like how we're bettering others and we never we never grasp the broader picture. And so like how how were you able to do that? How was your journey and how were your mentors cuz you talked about it a little bit. How your mentors helped influence you to become who you are today. But how did I guess I'm I guess what I'm really asking is how <laughs> this is a weird question. Um, but it's one I love asking, how does your brain work? How do you, how does your brain function in the way that it does so that you are the best you at a constant? 
man, that's a good question. Um, <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of a bookworm when it comes to this. Uh, I, um, I could probably live on a mountaintop, um, study and meditate and be a monk for the rest of my life and, and cook, of course, because I am a chef. Um, so as long as I could do those, like, as long as I could do those things, I would probably be content with life and not need anything. But it wasn't always that way. Um, I learned uh, at some point that what you said is absolutely true. I wasn't giving myself space to think. It wasn't necessarily the time, but it was the space. So let's go a little quantum here. So let's start with, uh, let's start with a little statistic. So your brain thinks 50 to 70,000 thoughts a day. 90%, 90% of those thoughts are the same thoughts as you thought yesterday. Mm. It's kind of crazy, right? So you're so with ten percent new potential fresh thoughts, that's all you get, because we are still influenced by the caveman days when we had to stay focused on uh, security, uh, safety. Yeah. You know, yeah. I don't want to escape. If if I step out of this cave at this time, a woolly mammoth is gonna get me. So I know that I need to I need to keep things the same in order to live. And so these, these programs are still running amok in, in our brain and in our body. So I'm a full-blown biohacker when it comes to that. Um, and, and so when, when we think about that, this whole idea of, did you ever see the movie Lucy? I have not. Okay. Seriously, one of my favorite movies, like Lucy, Matrix, Interstellar, Transcendence. I love movies like that because, and then the movie, What the Bleep. If you haven't seen that, anybody who's listening, I highly recommend you, you watch it. If you can find it, What the Bleep, down the rabbit hole, I'm sure it's on a torrent somewhere. Um, but it's, it's like a five and a half hour documentary slash movie that talks about quantum mechanics. So this understanding that when you think a repetitive thought, your mind creates a, a chemical like it's a peptide and this little this little peptide goes down into your body from your brain and it infuses the cell and then the cell gets this rush of emotion and then your whole body feels this emotion but if you're consistently exposing yourself to things like unworthiness and depression and sadness which i was um your cells when they replicate because cells replicate super fast when they replicate they re they replicate with more receptor sites for that emotion and less for the joyful emotions, less for nutrition. So over time, your cells now adapt to receive that particular emotion. So we become literally programmed, physiologically programmed, and addicted to the rush of that emotion. And this is why people who say, oh, I'm addicted to drama, always have drama in their life. <laughs> they're mm -hmm. always, always, always drama. They're, they're drama queens and kings. So. We're physiologically programmed for that. And I, I had to learn that. That was one thing. Uh, you know, another thing uh, from a quantum level also is our body is a vibrational, uh, a vibrational organism. I, I mentioned that earlier. So Dr. Masaharo Emoto, uh, you can actually look this up anywhere on YouTube, the water experiments. What he found was you can literally take a bottle of water and you can infuse it with an intention. You can write the intention on the bottle. And when you look at the water molecules under a microscope, the beautiful, positive, happy intentions have these incredibly gorgeous white light filled, incredibly beautiful snowflakey formed crystals. 
And the crystals that formed from the negative emotions were very like mucky and they had, they didn't have clear white light. They had uh, like kind of dull, kind of funky, sludgy kind of light coming through and the crystals were not properly formed. So there was not like a, a solid geometric pattern. And if we think about the thoughts that we're thinking on it, like if we consider that we're thinking 50 to 70,000 thoughts every single day, and these thoughts are the same as they were yesterday, and maybe most of those are negative because majority of them are negative, right? Then what's happening is we are, we are literally in this body of a Petri dish. We are creating more toxicity through all of the water that is inside of our body. And we, are, we start to vibrate because now the water, the water is the, the transmitter for our nervous system. And this is why people get sick. This is why people become diseased, right? We have chronic illness because our body is so heavily toxic, not just with food, but with emotions. And that was what I had to learn was that I was, I, I was addicted to the emotions. I was addicted to the identity of the illness. I was like, oh, my depression, my chronic this, my this, my that. And I was claiming ownership for it. And my body was actually physiologically addicted to these things. So so I started researching that and I started, you know, deprogramming myself from that. Um, I have multiple certifications in, uh, you know, quantum uh, consciousness coaching and, uh, you know, DNA clearing and stuff like that. You know, I don't, I don't necessarily use it, but it helped me to really understand, you know, that, that this body is, it's, it's so underutilized because we just think that it's like this machine. And if you look at, there's a, there's a website called Gaia, they have Gaia TV, uh, and there's a show on there called Arcanum that studies the ancient art of, you know, incredible religions and what they're finding through all of this ancient art and finding through hidden uh, and, and mysterious texts uh, that are, that are popping up um, after all this time, missing books from the Bible, like the Dead Sea Scrolls and things like that. And then when they're combining those with, you know, or comparing them with things like Hinduism or Buddhism, what we're finding is that these, these ancient texts have been trying to tell us that our body is a vortex of energy. And when we, when we abuse it by condemning it or not using it to create our reality, we become sick. We become lethargic. We become lazy because we're holding back the natural energy flow that's trying to push through us and make this world a better place. So for me, it's like, you know, I, I can wake up and from the second I wake up, I'm already trying to figure out how I can hack consciousness. Like I'm literally like, okay, how can I create this today? What can I do to manifest this? You know, how can I be more aligned with this? My, my word is always calibration. I think about that future version of me and like, what can I do today to calibrate myself better to that version of me? Um, and that, that I think is a hundred percent of where my focus always is now. Okay. First off, two main questions. Yes. Main questions. First, how did, how did you hack depression or not hack it, but how did you like deprogram yourself from all these negative things? Because I see nowadays so many people, which it, in my in my opinion, I really do think depression is overdiagnosed nowadays. But everyone or a lot of people I know say I'm depressed or I have anxiety. I can't help it. It's not my fault. So I'm going to have to deal with it. And also, 
you already from the beginning, the first five minutes of our conversation, I knew that you were a creative person and you know, you bring up creativity. Now I got to ask, how do you, how do you become creative or how, Mm. how do you have that creative flow? Because that is, that is something I've been trying to focus on and work on. And in all honesty, it's difficult. It's difficult Mm -hmm. because even you said it's 10% of our ideas are new and fresh. And it it sounds like you have constant new ideas, constant fresh ideas every day. How Mm -hmm. do you, how do you develop those things? Yeah, that's a goal. Those are good questions. Okay. First of all, let's talk about depression. Um, Depression comes from a multitude of things. Uh, For me, it was blame. It was the blame game. So I was blaming somebody else for some things that had happened early on in my life and I was beating myself up. So most people who, who suffer from depression have moved from guilt into shame. So guilt is I made a mistake. Shame is I am the mistake. So most people who have uh, you know, anxiety and depression are blaming themselves for something that happened in their past and they're not willing to forgive themselves. It's not about forgiving other people. The issue is we haven't forgiven ourselves. So depression starts when we take ownership for something that may or not have been ours and we're pointing the finger in blame, but we're still shaming ourselves for it. So that was where my depression had come from or my experience of depression. Um, and so over the course of time, because I was, I was using food to numb myself uh, from the age of 13, I started going to see a therapist because I started questioning my sexuality. I was molested by a, um, a girl and a boy uh, when I was uh, growing up who were just a few years older than me. Um, and so I started questioning my sexuality. I was trying to understand who I was. And during that time, um, I started finding out that, you know, my, my doctor was like, look, you know, you, you have clinical depression. I want to put you on Prozac. And I was like, yeah, no, that's not going to do it. And so I, I was like, screw you. I'm not going to see you anymore. <laughs> and then I got into high school and I was, you know, I think I was like in my senior in high school. And, um, what ended up happening was I realized that I needed to, um, you know, I, I needed to, to go see a therapist again. I had some questions. I was going through this, this crazy depression and you're right. Like there would be days where I would literally be, um, I would be, I would feel like there was a cloud over my head and I could not move it. Like I had absolutely zero control over it. And my mom, you know, would come home and she would find me crying for no reason. And, you know, she took me in the middle of the night one night to test me for drugs. Cause she honestly believed that I was, that I was doing drugs. And when she found out it had nothing to do with drugs, she just didn't know how to handle it. Cause she'd never been depressed before. So she didn't understand Um, but she was more compassionate and more, you know, caring at that point. And, you know, I I saw a therapist and of course the therapist was like, well, Alita, if you don't get any better, we're just going to have to put you on Prozac. I was like, okay, screw you. I don't want to see you anymore. (laughs) So I was like, okay, I just keep going through this. Um, and then, you know, by the age of 21, I had developed such a severe, uh, food addiction. I was just addicted to sugar and fats and just compulsive overeating. Uh, I had gone, I was fainting a lot. I would get up from the couch and I would just completely pass out and I would hit the coffee table on the way to the hardwood floor. And I went to the doctor and I was like, Hey, I'm having these symptoms. And he's like, well, I think we should put you on Prozac because it sounds like you have depression. And I was like, Oh my gosh, are you serious? Like number three, I think that was my wake up call because I was like, okay, I know that I'm addicted to food and I know that I have the potential to be healthy. 
but if if I don't know what it's going to take to get me there, I I you know I I seriously need help, and I need I need unconventional help. Uh, and so instead of taking Prozac, my mom and I did a ton of research into uh, different natural methods. Um, I could safely say St. John's wort and kava kava actually made it worse because I actually did have a chemical imbalance. And so I literally, when I tried that, um, I was in the fetal position for three straight days and I was crying for uncontrollably for three straight days. I'm like, okay, I don't think this is working. <laughs> so I stopped <laughs> that. And what we found was that most people who have uh, depression and or anxiety have a magnesium deficiency. And at the time when we found that, I thought, you know what, this is crazy because I drink at that time I was drinking dairy. I was drinking a gallon of nonfat milk in two days and I was going through a gallon every two days. And as soon as I started supplementing with the magnesium, the depression started to subside a little bit and my craving for milk disappeared. So that was a huge wake up call for me. And that was, that was a massive helper. But also I ended up going to culinary school because I wanted to learn how to make the foods that I was addicted to healthy for me. I was going to college. I was miserable. My mom wanted me to get like a degree. And I was just like, you know, this just, this is not, I'm not feeling it. I need to go do something where I can be physically active. I, I, I don't think I was, I was never really diagnosed uh, with it, but I do believe that in, in some way, shape or form, if a doctor actually did diagnose me, I would probably have what, what most people say is like ADD or ADHD. Uh, and so when I am physically active is when I'm most creative. Uh, and so if I'm using my hands and I'm, uh, cause I'm, I'm a dancer, I started dancing when I was two and a half. So if I'm doing things that keep me physically active, then my brain can flow freely. Uh, that's what I love about cooking and gardening and things like that. So, um, so going to culinary school, hanging out with trannies, um, I, I always <laughs> say trannies taught me how to feel comfortable with myself. Uh, and that really helped me come out of my shell because I was, I, I, I was given the space to be surrounded by other creatives. Uh, you know, we going to do going to one of the top schools in the country and spending every single night, you know, in your dorm rooms, drinking expensive wine and talking about the most incredible foods and food presentations and flavors and things that you're learning in class and, and, and experimenting with different things. I mean, in school, we used to sneak hot plates into the dorm room so that we can experiment with different types of foods uh, just so that we can continue to practice. And, and the passion for the creative process, uh, I think, was such a, you know, such a necessary uh, part of my transformation. Uh, and I went for baking and pastry arts. I loved it so much. I stayed for culinary arts. And, um, and that really helped me to, to understand myself better. Uh, I think a lot of us, like I said, you know, a lot of us don't give ourselves permission to explore and take risks. And that was a massive risk for me. Moving away, going to college, you know, getting two degrees uh, was, was huge for me because that, that was not something I would have ever considered doing uh, before. Uh, but it was a, it was a last ditch effort. Uh, I, I, I felt like I had no other choice but to follow my passion uh, or I was going to end up on meds and be a zombie for the rest of my life. Um, and so, so that I think really helped me. And then from there, I just, I started learning about nutrition. I, I got to school and I thought, okay, well, if I'm going to, if I'm going to do this and I'm going to learn how to make these foods healthy for me, I'm probably going to end up losing weight and I'm going to go out at that time. I wanted to have a bakery, a healthy bakery. And I thought, okay, well, if I'm going to do this, I mean, I kind of need to look the part cause I don't want, I don't want people to think I'm a do as I say, not as I do kind of person. So I, I started really just experimenting and exploring with what that would look like for me. 
and I started losing weight and changing my diet and working out. And, um, you know, and after being in the industry for about two and a half years, um, you know, I, I worked my way up to like my dream job in a fine dining restaurant. And I was just like, oh, this, you know, I just, I just need to work hands on with people. Um, but that the creative process, I think during the course of that time, what I learned was that sitting down, sitting still and being creative doesn't work for me. I have to be physically moving. Like right now, as I'm talking to you, I'm actually standing because when I, when I do uh, keynote speeches and I'm up on stage, I have to be moving. I'm always barefoot because I need to feel the ground. It makes me actually feel more present and more grounded, but I wouldn't have known that had I not experimented, had I not explored. I also know that as far as creativity is concerned, I have to get out of my own way. See, most oftentimes when I hit a slump or I hit a brick wall creatively, the issue has nothing to do with the fact that I'm not creative. It has to do with me thinking that I'm the one being creative. That's the issue. What most of us don't realize is the creative flow doesn't come from us. It doesn't come from Alita. It doesn't come from, you know, this identity. It's the infinite intelligence that manifests itself through me that brings me the creativity. So I learned that if I'm moving and I'm in a flow of just completely losing myself in that creative process, I'm losing Alita. I'm getting Alita's limits out of the way and I'm making room for something that's bigger than me to flow through me, to flow through my hands, to flow through my brain, to flow through my mouth. And that allows, you know, whatever answers I'm looking for to come to me. Does that make sense? In a way, it does. I awesome. In in an odd way, I understand that because I I don't know, but I get it. <laughs> is it? Mm-hmm. How yeah. does? Because how I do you do that? well, and not just not just how do you do that? Because like I feel like I felt that, especially. Um, I mean, I don't write as much as I do anymore. Because, but when I was young, like a couple years ago, I'd write a lot. And when you, whenever you wrote or whenever I wrote, I would lose my consciousness. It was almost this revert to subconsciousness where you just, yes. you just go. And, mm-hmm. but how do you, that, but how are other ways you can unlock that? Because if for you, so, it's, yeah, go on. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So I, I think that the, the first way to do it is to, in order to get out of your, your own head, you have to stop judging yourself. Uh, one of my mentors told me that the first book you ever write has to be written for the trash can. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, I think the one, and it's true, um, you know, the very first book I wrote, uh, I spent about two weeks, you know, trying to actually put it together. And, um, and I, I can safely say that I threw it, once I threw it all the way and got comfortable with the fact that, you know what, I'm, I'm not going to feel like this has to be the end all be all. Uh, from there, I locked myself in my apartment for two straight days and wrote my first book um, in two days. Because oh, wow. I, yeah, because I got out of my way. I just said, okay, you know what? In these, these next two days, I'm, I'm going to sit at my computer and I'm not going to leave my house and I'm not going to answer my phone and I'm not going to stop until this book gets written. Most of us, we're not that committed. And so we're like, well, what if somebody doesn't like it? What if somebody judges it? What if somebody calls me crazy? And that is what stops the flow. Because what we're doing is we're saying to that higher part of us, that bigger part of us that wants to create through us, 
we're saying to it, you know what, you might not be good enough for the people around me. So I'm just not going to let you come through. <laughs> and so, <laughs> so, right. So we don't <laughs> We're like, no, yeah. sorry, you're unworthy. <laughs> you know? And so whether it's God or source or consciousness, you believe in Buddha, Allah, whatever you're saying to that infinite intelligence, sorry, sorry, Charlie. Nope. You don't have a place here. And so what we've got to do, and this is why I believe that, you know, a some sort of spiritual practice is absolutely essential, whether it be meditation, whether it be just a mindfulness practice, whether it be prayer, whatever is so hugely important because when we can get in touch with ourself curiously, not our self, the physical self, but uh, our self, the infinite self, when we can get in touch with that part of us and we can create space to consider where our limits are, then we give permission to that infinite intelligence to move through us. Like there's a, in, if, if you've ever, have you ever heard the, the term time space reality? Uh, it sounds a little familiar, but, but a little sci-fi. Okay. okay. So it's very sci-fi. It's, it's, it's quantum. So, so we live in a time space reality. And what that means is time looks like in our human form, it looks like it's constant. It looks like it's linear. It looks like it goes from point A to point B. And it looks like, you know, everything just goes in a, you know, fluid succession, maybe like a parade. But in actuality, time actually has gaps in it, like a movie film or like 35 millimeter film. So you have a frame of time and then a little space and a frame of time and space and frame and space, right? And our, our brain and our eyes, just like when there are gaps and, you know, in, in, if our, if our eye can't see certain things, it, the brain fills in the gaps. So this is what happens. Our, our body and our mind fill in the gaps of space because we, we only understand time. We don't understand that space. We understand space being a physical thing. So if we think about that next segment of time, being influenced by what we inject into those spaces, those space gaps, then the belief that I carry as I'm unworthy, I'm not good enough, I'm not smart enough, I'm not pretty enough, I'm not rich enough, I'm not educated enough, we're injecting those beliefs in those gaps of space between those segments of time. So the next segment of time that I experience now reflects the belief that I've just injected before it. Does that make sense? I think so. Yeah. So this is what's happening when you're, when you feel like you hit a creative block is because before that creative block, you already believed that you weren't good enough, smart enough, pretty enough, worthy enough to let that information come through you. You know what? In a way that, because to me, it's not being like worthy enough or, you know, or strong enough or pretty enough to me. It's simply not, knowing because to the depth of my core i know for a fact that i want to do i want to create Mm -hmm. i want to be something right i want to have that legacy like you and a lot of extremely productive people want but at the same time i don't know what that is and so Mm -hmm. it always comes to a roadblock but then again that roadblock could just be my own self getting in the way and saying well the only reason that you don't know what you want to do is because you aren't one actively doing and two you already think you can't or it could be a, or it could be like, you haven't discovered that yet. Mm-hmm. Yeah, all of the above. But I think that the thing that we've got to realize is that we, we think we don't know. 
we, we have this belief that we don't know because we don't have the physical, mm, we don't have like the physical experience to prove that we know. What happens in, in, in the world, in reality, in the universe is that there is a duality. The good and the bad coexist. One, you know, one exists as a, as a, like a, as an opposite, kind of like, um, I don't know, not opposite, but opposite, opposite sides of the spectrum. So, you know, you have dark versus light. One is, one is just light and one is not dark. It's actually just the absence of light. So it's on the spectrum of how much light there is, I think is, is the best way that I've ever heard it put. So what that means is, when we are, when we're expressing ourselves creatively, we either have creative flow or we have an absence of creative flow. And the amount of resistance we place on it by saying, I don't have the answer, determines how much of that creative flow is able to come through us. And it's not you that's supposed to have the answer. It's not you that's supposed to know everything. It's not you that actually is going to uh, you know, uh, is actually literally going to pave the way. It's the future version of you <laughs> that is literally pulling you forward and saying, the second you asked for an answer, the answer was already created somewhere in your future. And your job isn't to try to create it. Your job is to go walk towards it. So the second the question is, is asked in the universe, the answer is already created because one cannot exist without the other. It's on the same spectrum. So it's like that game. Are you getting hot or cold? How close are you getting to it? So the second you ask that question, I want to be whatever, you know, how do I become? And if you, if you have a thought in your mind that says, well, you know, why can't I? That, that means you're getting cooler. But if you say, how can I? You're getting warmer. And so you walk forward in this belief, this absolute 100% knowing, maybe people call it faith. You walk forward in this 100% knowing that this prayer, this question that you've already asked has already been manifested. And your job is to clear everything out of the way. For instance, laziness or looking at habits that might be uh, contradicting that future version of you. Maybe you have behavior patterns, people or ways that you react or respond to people that may not necessarily be in alignment with that future version of you. So your job, once you place that question out into the universe, once you place that request out into the universe, is to start clearing out your path in search of the answer that has already been created specifically for you. And so when you think about like segment intention, for instance, right? If I wake up in the morning, I make my bed, I acknowledge, okay, sleep is over. I'm going into this next segment of my life. I'm going to brush my teeth, take a shower, you know, do whatever. And then I cut that segment off and then I move into the next segment. Okay, so I'm getting into my car and I'm going to have an incredible drive. And when I get to, you know, wherever I'm going, I'm going to meet some amazing people and I visualize those things. And then great, I have that experience. I get there and then that segment is over. I end that segment. And then I think about the next segment and the next segment and the next segment. So what I'm doing is I'm constantly infusing those segments of my life in order to calibrate those segments to my future goal. Does that make sense? In a way it does, but also 
when you were talking about walking towards, mm -hmm. I think you have to ask that question before you have to ask the question beforehand, where am I going? Because it's easier to go like, um, I want to, I want to, uh, uh, be a doctor and mm -hmm. you already, and you already have that belief that that's where you're going. And you, again, like you said, you manifest that, you know, you, mm -hmm. you walk towards that. But what about, cause I know a lot of people, especially, especially kids my age where they have to ask themselves, like, what do I want to do with my life? Not just in, t in its entirety for the time being. And because they don't even know that question, they seem to be rather stuck. So how do you fix that? How do you ignite that passion? Well, wait, I feel like you already answered that with exploring and well, always trying I mean, we, things. Yeah, but we can expand on that one because that, that, that is a good question because if you have someone at your age, you know, or even somebody at my age, like I have, and, and even beyond my age, I have worked with women from age, like I'm, I'm going to be 40 in February, but I've worked with women anywhere between 55 to 65 who are going through like a midlife crisis. Um, and, and I see it, 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 it's the exact same thing that teenagers go through when they're trying to figure their life out. They're like, oh my gosh, this section of my life is over. My entire identity is about to change. What in the world am I supposed to do with my life? So it comes down to just, you know what, getting over yourself. <laughs> we have, we have this belief in society. We're so afraid of being called selfish. We are so desperately afraid of people saying that we're self-centered, that we actually are extremely self-centered because every single moment of every single day, we're thinking that people are thinking about us. <laughs> we honestly, we honestly believe that everybody sits at home and goes, oh my gosh, did you see her hair today? And did you see what she was wearing today? And oh my God, did you see what she posted <laughs> up on Facebook? We honestly believe that. Like we are so full of ourselves that we honestly believe that people waste their time thinking about us. But the reality is they're focused on what they think other people are thinking about them. So in reality, nobody's thinking about anybody. Nobody's paying attention to what we're doing. And, you know, and so at the end of the day, it's not so much about having to figure out your life. You know, the, the, some of the most incredible, incredibly successful people are those that changed course of their life multiple times over. And so it's basically getting to the agreement with yourself that A, you're never going to be happy if you live your life to please anybody other than you. Straight up, plain and simple. That is absolutely essential. Number two, at the end of the day, you have to feel good with yourself. And if you can look at yourself in the mirror and you can say, today I did a great job, you are going to feel fulfilled. Like hands down, no ifs, ands, or buts about it. You're going to feel fulfilled. You're going to feel happy about that. You're going to feel like life is complete because you've done something that makes you feel good inside. And you're not going to be able to say that if you if you sat at, at home and watched TV all day, mm -hmm. you're going to be trying to convince people how good you are and how amazing you are because your actions can't speak for it. So that's a sign, you know? Yeah. So the people who are the most successful don't have to talk about how successful they are. Their actions speak louder than words. And if you don't know the direction you're going, that's okay. Yes, exploration is absolutely essential. And yes, you have to go and try a bunch of new things. I think, you know, my saving grace was, you know, in those two and a half years that I went to junior college after high school, 
I had no intention of getting a real college degree. I was just like, I'm just going here because my mom wants me to go. I took psychology, philosophy, art history. Don't get me into a math <laughs> class. Like that's just not going to happen, you know? Um, but I took these classes because I wanted to hack the brain. I wanted to understand why I had battled for so many years. I wanted to fix myself and I wanted to be something great. I always knew that I had the potential to be something great and I wasn't going to let anything stop me, but I, I didn't have, you know, I didn't have the courage to go out and do anything great at that time. So what I did was try to understand myself. And most of us are so focused on trying to prove ourselves that we, we don't give ourselves permission to understand ourselves. And self-awareness is absolutely essential. You know, it, you don't have to know where you're going, but you got to know who you're, who you are. Oh, because yeah. you can't know, you can't know where you're going until you know who you are and you have to give yourself permission to change each and every day. Like, okay, so yeah, great. I know who I am, but this is only a foundation and I will be different. Maybe five minutes from now, I'm going to be a better version of myself tomorrow. And maybe six, six months from now, you might not even recognize me, but if I can get comfortable with that, then life is going to be good. And at the end of the day, I'm going to feel fulfilled. And I think that is where people get tripped up is they think that it's got to be perfect. They've got to get it right from the very beginning. And if they don't, you know, they're going to absolutely fail. And, uh, and that, that's absolutely just so not true. I love that. That's such a, the constantly changing, that's such a Buddhist philosophy that I, mm -hmm. oh, that I love entirely. And you, you're completely right. You know, I, I know for a fact that, you know, the people that are constantly thinking about themselves or that they are trying to perceive or like project themselves a certain way, it's, you know, we all want love and acceptance, but we also all want to be a good person and not all of us are, you know, that's simply not true. So you, you're totally right. The fact that you can do something to make yourself feel good and go, I have done something. I like, great. That's awesome. Makes me feel better. And I feel, I feel like through that doing, you also get a, like, you'll also understand who you are. And not only that, I feel like this is a little side thing, but I feel like understanding vocabulary and um, understanding EQ, like emotional intelligence is also very yes. important. You know, the more we expand our, our knowledge of what the umbrella of sad or angry is, because like we have sad, right? You could be sad. Mm -hmm. But sad could mean depressed, anxious, worried, scared, nervous. What are you? And the more we can direct that and go, well, I'm not sad. I, I, think I'm, I think I'm worried. What are you worried about? I think I'm worried about this. If you can find the root of the problem, we can easily dig up. So I think, I think the sooner we can understand what we are on an emotional foundation, we can solve all these problems a lot easier. I think, yeah. Yeah, no, you're right. You're right. The, the, the key is to do it from a space of creativity rather than from a space of validation. Um, you know, I worked with an organization uh, that was heavily founded uh, in the belief that you have to constantly, that you have to look for the limiting beliefs and then clear them. And one of the things that I was finding is like, okay, yeah, we found the root cause, but what are we going to do about it? <laughs> you know, it's like, okay, great. So now we found the root. We're going to look at truth. We're going to bring truth in. But if the behavior doesn't change to support that new information, then nothing changes in life. So I think the key is, you know, we, we talk about, you know, knowledge is power. I think that's, you know, that's absolutely a lie because it's not knowledge. Knowledge is not power. It's wisdom. It's, you know, it's the, the understanding of breaking the information down, distilling it, applying it. That's where wisdom comes from. 
And that's where, you know, great power and great responsibility come from. So, you know, when we can, when we can understand vocabulary, we can understand how to communicate, when we can understand how to be vulnerable, not just with others, but with ourselves, instead of being afraid of being judged as weak uh, or, you know, a sissy or a wuss, if we can embrace that vulnerability as a power, as a, as a superpower, then what we start to find is we can't go out and, and go convince somebody else to change, but our example of vulnerability inspires others to create that change within themselves. And so I think that is, to me, you know, while, you know, we may, we may talk about purpose and we may talk about, you know, passion and we may talk about, you know, direction and goals, but, you know, if, if at the end of the day, we learn to have that self-awareness and we become that living, breathing example, organically, by inspiration and by osmosis, the world around us just begins to shift because we have shifted and we're projecting out a completely different identity than was in that sad or depressed or anxious state of consciousness that we were in before. And so if we're looking at not just the dialogue that we're having within ourselves, but we're looking at the world around us and saying, okay, the world around me is this mirror. And if I'm getting pushback from certain people, what is it that I'm feeling about myself? How am I projecting out into the world? What am I doing that's causing or triggering that person to respond in the way that they're responding to me? And so we have to, we have to not just focus so much on the root cause of it. We also want to understand how us showing up in life is communicating with the universe around us. Uh, because when we start to take ownership on that level, then the root causes start to resolve themselves. We don't have to keep going back into the past. Instead, we're choosing to be present in the moment. And through behavior modification in the present moment, those root causes begin to completely just die out. That's crazy. Mm -hmm. That take, Taking that all in is like, whew. <laughs> <laughs> You, you keep dropping knowledge bomb after knowledge bomb. Like, you probably don't know this, but like, as I'm sitting here, I'm also taking notes. This is a lot of notes. <laughs> I can imagine. <laughs> I love that. And I love these concepts. You know, you were talking about coming from a place of, uh, you know, a vulnerability and not validation in a sense. Like, I feel like vulnerability is truthful and validation is a lie. You're lying to other people. You're going to lie to yourself. You're never going to be good. And, and vulnerability is that truth. And like, and what you're saying, oh my goodness, by, by digging up the roots and, you know, I, oh my goodness, I'm sorry. Like it's, I'm like, it's all good. I'm, I'm trying to like bring it like all together. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, here's, here's the thing. Uh, I founded um, my company a, a couple years ago. Uh, well, just about like maybe three, one of my companies uh, three and a half years ago, it's called ambassador for goodness coaching. And when it came about, it wasn't going to be the name of my coaching company at all. Uh, I've been coaching for 13 years. Uh, it was more about a movement. I believe that if we want to change the world, the only way that we're going to be able to change the world is understanding that most of us communicate ego to ego. And mm -hmm. we communicate ego to ego in ways of being offended and being triggered by other people, pointing the finger and blame. But if I can look at you, and instead of me looking at what you look like on the inside, looking at your money, looking at your success or your failure, and talking to you from that place, 
I can look at you as an infinite intelligence and see God or source or consciousness inside of you and talk to that part of you. I might be the very first person that's actually talked to that part of you, but it sparks something inside of you that feels better. And now you feel that. And it's not just about the, the dialogue you have with me, but it's the sensation that you have that you want to start pursuing. And now what I've just done, what I've just done is I've planted a seed inside of you that makes you go or that, that triggers you to go out and seek your highest and best potential. And I believe that the more we can communicate on that level with more people, the world is going to change on its own. We don't have to be activists. We don't have to go petition. We don't have to go, you know, uh, picket. We don't have to go fight against any sort of, you know, any sort of systems. But if we just have a, a more spiritual, soulful connection with each other, when we do that, we are talking at such a soul level that we all raise up together. And I believe that, you know, at the end of the day, if, if nothing else changes other than the way we talk to each other, the world is going to completely shift in, in a very, very easy and graceful way. I think you're entirely right, because at that moment, we're treating people like human beings, nothing, nothing, and nothing less of that. And I guess when you understand people on that level, there's not going to be fighting, there's going to be understanding, and oh my goodness, like, I feel like that's where love comes from, and especially mm -hmm. about loving your enemies. The way you do that is you don't look at them through anger, you look at them through understanding and compassion and empathy. Because you have to, and again, this is like a Buddhist, uh, Buddhist philosophy, but you realize that they are suffering and so are you. Everyone, we're all suffering. And so when we, how do I, when we take, when we realize that instead of being angry at that person or instead of hating that group of people or instead of like being mad at them for them triggering us, we, we empathize with them and we want to love them and we're much more compassionate. And then at, in those moments, we realize that they're a human being. And they're like us. Yeah. Totally. Totally. It's, it's tough because, you know, if we've got a lot of hurt, if we've got a lot of anger, we've got a lot of guilt and shame bottled up inside of us. Um, we have, we have to, uh, we have to learn how to forgive ourselves in order to see other people from that loving perspective, from that loving, you know, essence. And you know, the, the people, if, if we look at, so for instance, the words tolerate versus accept. Um, for those of you guys who are listening, if you've never heard of um, Abraham Hicks, uh, Esther is a, a, basically she channels a group of beings that call themselves Abraham. And uh, one of the things that Abraham says is that there are, are three universal principles. One is the law of attraction. Number two is the... Um, the uh, segment intention number three is the art of allowing or you know maybe not in such order but those three and the art of allowing basically says i understand that you are creating your reality and because you are creating your reality i am going to love you and accept you and embrace you for everything that you're choosing to create just as i'm going to do the same for me and in giving you permission to create your, your universe and your life in exactly the way that you see fit, I'm doing the same thing for me. And when we do that, 
the universe expands. Like there's, there's scientific evidence. You, get, you can actually look this up on the internet. It's crazy. Like the universe is growing, <laughs> you know, <laughs> the universe is actually growing because it's making physical space to include all of the reality that we are creating. It's, it's really fascinating. So if I instead, if, if I tolerate you, I'm judging you and I'm saying, you know, look, I don't really like what you're doing. I'm just going to tolerate it. And I'm going to sit over here and I'm going to be passive aggressive and I'm going to pretend like I like you, but I really just don't. But you know, when we, when we tolerate, we're not really giving people permission or ourselves permission to create the reality that feels best for us. We are essentially saying I'm in a place of judgment. There's only so much space and time and money and whatever to go around and you're invading mine. So you need to hurry up and change or else I'm just not going to like you. But if we move out of that and we say, look, there's plenty to go around because the universe is infinite and it's going to create more space and it's going to create more of whatever it is that we need and whatever it is that we call into manifest. And I'm going to allow you to be whoever you need to be, because as long as I continue to just be aligned with who I need to be, you're not even going to be anywhere around me. Because if you're negative, the universe literally like, this is a crazy part. I tell people this all the time because people come to me and say, well, how do I get out of this toxic relationship? Or how do I tell this person, you know, whatever. And I'm like, look, just change your perspective. Focus on what's positive. Focus on abundance. Focus on all the beautiful things. And one of two things is either going to happen. Either A, that person is going to feel that you have changed and they're going to love it. And they're going to see that. And they're going to say, you know what? That's exactly what I've been looking for. Show me the way. And they're going to rise up and they're going to go with you. Or they're going to feel how amazing you're being and they're going to hate it because they don't want it for themselves and you're now showing them what they're capable of and they don't want to see it in themselves and then they move out of your life. So if that is as easy and graceful as the universe is, why are we not doing it? You know, why are we not doing it? We're not doing it because we believe that everything here is all that there is. And we just don't know. We have forgotten. We know somewhere deep inside, but we have forgotten that the universe is an infinite intelligence. And if we can learn to compassionately and unconditionally accept each other, then the feeling and the expression of love, the vibrational frequency of love can completely take over the entire planet. But we as individuals have to start by taking that oath of acceptance and, and unconditional love within us and go out and, and do that and gift that to other people so that that vibration just starts to kind of spread like wildfire you oh my goodness i understand your concepts on such a profound level hey <laughs> mm -hmm. it just it just makes sense because when you're tolerating someone in a way you're hindering them and you're hindering your yourself from both of you being better and and, and when you have that compassion or not that compassion that um oh that what's it called? What's it called? Unconditional love. You're bettering yourself and them because you're allowing them to, to be them and pursue what they're going to pursue, pursue their reality or multiple realities because you know, they're, you're going to go everywhere in life. You're going to do the same. And, mm -hmm. and oh my goodness, there's so much that I like, I don't know, I'm trying to think. Cause like, that's just, it's crazy to me what you were saying about unconditional love because I love the concept of love mm -hmm. and of loving. Yeah. And it's something that I want to embrace every day. Like, um, 
in a way, that's something that I like to stand for. That's something that I try to stand for every day is because I, it makes, it feels good to me. And it feels like a part of a purpose I have to just unconditionally love everybody. And I'm not saying that I can do that all the time because it's, it's difficult. So it's a difficult road to take sometimes though it is graceful, but it's one that needs to be pursued in order to better everybody. Absolutely. 100%. 100%. The thing that, you know, I think that when we go back to what I feel, uh, why I feel so passionate about your particular generation is, you know, as we continue to evolve, not just here on this physical plane and earth that we know it, but as a, as a collective consciousness, a collective unconsciousness, whichever you want to call it. Um, everybody calls it something different, but as a whole, as a source, um, when we get reincarnated, you know, we, we have a new level of understanding that we're coming into this physical plane with your generation has, you know, has more than my generation did because, you know, we came in at a different time, you know, in in this different time and place, you know, so while, you know, there may be some of us who are older souls and things like that, you know, we are slightly bound by, you know, the limits of this particular reality as it's been created, but you know, the understanding of unconditional love, as well as our ability to be able to manifest, uh, you know, that acceptance within our world uh, is for me, it's, it's not something that I have seen so powerfully through a generation until now. And I feel like, and I, I, I notice that your particular generation is coming in, seeking that more often more frequently, you know, it's happening more and more and more because, you know, you're, you as souls, your group of souls that are coming in are coming in armed with the tools to be able to make that happen, you know? And so we, we come together and we do this and we, we figure out how to make it happen. And I mean, it it only takes, I think it's like three, the stats are crazy. It's like three generations to change a complete culture to change a mindset, to change, you know, a belief system. Uh, I mean, this is propaganda. Government has been doing this for, for, you know, centuries to change, you know, people's beliefs. I mean, they're changing history books and, and all this kind of stuff because they don't want us to know certain things about the past. And that's a conversation Mm -hmm. for a whole nother story, but you know, it only takes, you know, a few generations of continuing to bombard them with certain programming before the whole of reality, you know, completely forgets what happened in the past. Um, so, you know, if we can use that as an effective tool and program every generation moving forward, or even just the next one or two generations with that, that mindset of unconditional love, I mean, imagine what this world could be in, you know, three to 500 years. I mean, we could be, we could be completely transcended. So there's power in that. Well, I definitely hope to be a part of that. And I'm so glad you're a part of that, especially with this new generation coming up that, that wants something like that. It's, yeah, it's incredible. Actually, I'm so sorry. We're, we're probably running out of time. I scheduled this with you as a 30 minute meeting, but oh my goodness, (laughs) it has preceded that. Where can, where can people find you? So I have a website. It's called ambassadorforgoodness.com. I'm actually going to be launching a cooking show on YouTube in the next couple weeks called Eat, Glow, Rise. You can actually subscribe to that channel uh, now. I'm on Instagram. Uh, I have an Instagram account, Eat, Glow, Rise as well. 
uh, in, uh, Ambassador for Goodness, God, Goddess Intelligence, uh, and also Mind Soul Fit OC, uh, different projects that I'm working on. Um, we have a holistic wellness center here in Southern California. So we do a lot of uh, fitness and massage and chiropractic and stuff like that. Holistic health coaching. You can find me on Facebook. I'm pretty much everywhere you, you've got social media. I'm there. I'm on Snapchat too. Um, I'm digging Snapchat and like you and I found each other on anchor. So I'm on anchor as well. So you can find me pretty much there. Um, I'm on iTunes as well. I've got a couple podcasts. You can find me there also. Um, but yeah, um, I'm pretty much anywhere, <laughs> but a last, last thing, if you had to in one, one sentence or in one phrase, I guess, what would be your advice to Generation Z, to this upcoming beautiful group of souls that's, ha that's about to happen? Mm, one sentence. Don't let anybody tell you it's not possible. Because anybody who does try to tell you that it's not possible just never gave it 110%. I love that. Straight up. I love yeah. that. Well, thank you so much for having me. Thank you so much Absolutely. for being on my podcast. <laughs> Thank you for having me. It's been an of awesome course. conversation. Of course, of course. Hey guys, I really hope you enjoyed that conversation. If you like what we're doing, please help us grow by sharing our content. And if you have any recommendations for future guests, please email me at agwetrick at gmail.com.